0: We've been looking at the whole area of Genesis and looking through from Genesis 1 right through. Today we're in Genesis 4. I'm going to read that for you in a minute. It's a hairy passage of scripture um, talking about sin. I feel like I should have a drum roll for that, but uh, don't. don't, don't, But uh, talking about sin. But, you know, in my iPad I have a file or a folder titled Help Me Understand. It's just titled Help Me Understand. And... In it, I write little quirky things that I think about and anomalies that I can't work out or that just take my fancy. It's a bit sort of quirky, but I've got a bunch of them, but I'm going to share a couple of them with you today. The first one just help me understand how that word is pronounced, quinoa. Can you help me do that? When people have five kids at the one time, they're called quins, not kins. I was with my wife at the, you know, foodie shop, an organic shop up the Sunshine Coast a little while ago and uh, she knows I embarrass her a bit and there's a whole bunch of organic foodies in the shop and I sitting on my one side and I just called out with a bunch of people around honey I found the quinoa and she, <laughs> she was mortified and embarrassed and told me so. Help me understand help me understand how jeans with holes in the leg and slits in the knee cost more than jeans without a hole in the leg and slits in the knee. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but my daughters, my daughters um, have got jeans with holes in the leg and they paid $100 for them. $39 in Target, no holes, no nothing. Why would you do that? Thank you. Why would you do that? Help me understand when optional oils became essential that's a kind of crazy thing for me. That's just, isn't that dumb? I used to get a headache and if I got a headache I'd take a Panadol an hour later the headache's gone. Now I get a headache. My wife puts on oil number 453 on each temple <laughs> and then I take a Panadol and about, a, about a, an hour later it's gone but help me understand. I want you to help me understand today the nature and impact of sin. It's a huge issue. It come, we come face to face with it in, in Genesis chapter 4. We come before that, but in Genesis chapter 4. What it, help me understand what causes a brother to kill a brother. Help me understand what happens. How it takes hold of people. How it gets there. Before I read that scripture, I, I just want to recap where we are in that. Because right at the very beginning of Genesis, a fantastic story where God says, let there be light. And he's hovering over this sort of chaos. He says, let there be light. And I wonder if you've thought about it. What is that light? It's not the sun and the moon. That's day four. What is the light when God says, let there be light? And there was light. I kind of come to think that it's, it's, purpose, it's shape, it's form, it's order. God's wanting to bring order to the chaos. Let there be light. Jesus says it later on I'm the light of the world. He says to you and me, you're the light of the world. This light I think is is meaning and purpose and, and from that you see this tremendous creation happen and form and order form. Heavens and the earth are separated. Things happen the land and the seas. You have the plant world, flowers and vegetation. Then you have day four where the sun and the moon and the stars are created. Then you have the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the animals. And then the crown of creation is us. God creates mankind. It's an amazing, amazing picture to have God from this very first phrase of let there be light now put shape and purpose and structure and brings that order, beautiful order, so good that he can rest, so good. We find the, the two first humans, Adam and Eve, in the garden in a beautiful harmony with God. And all of a sudden, almost in the blink of an eye, the story changes and a, a snake comes and says, you don't, to, you don't believe the God who created you do, you don't believe in that. You don't believe that what he says is right. Why would you obey what he, da- what he says? He says, don't, don't eat from this tree. Why would you obey that? Snake says very subtly, if you eat from that tree, you'll be like God, which is crazy because they were like God. Created in his image, but now all of a sudden it's changed. And that's the moment we call the fall. And you've probably seen that and pre- heard of that preached over the last couple of weeks. That's the fall. And then coming out of that are acts of rebellion. That's the first part. It's rebellion. It's where this, if you like, this state of sin starts. This overriding state of sin begins. And we see that introduction where people say, "I, I want to live my own life. I want to rebel my own way. I want to build my own kingdom. I want to do my own thing. I want to obey what I want to obey. And we see this thing, what happens is the state of sin leads to acts of sin. This nature, the second nature of ours, this nature that we inherited way back then and still have, leads to acts of sin. State of sin leads to acts of sin. And we come to this story in Acts chapter 4, which is the first recorded act of sin act of disobedience after the fall we read it to you come up on the screen I think, is it up on the screen? Yeah. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain she said, with the help of the Lord I've brought forth a man, later she gave birth to his brother Abel Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil and in the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. What would lead a brother to do that? And the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, not so, anyone who kills Cain will suffer, will put a, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Puzzling scripture. I mean, why does why is one you know, offering accepted, another not. Why were they even offering in the first place? No one has told them to offer. And we tend to think oh Abel's offering was more acceptable because it's the first of his flock and Cain's must be the scraps on the last bit of the paddock. It doesn't say that. We assume that. But for some reason God knew something in Cain's heart that caused the offering to not be acceptable for some reason. We don't know that fully. And you start to puzzle about what must it have been like in their home. I mean, you don't just wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to kill my brother today. Something's festered. Something's happened. Was there favoritism in the home? We don't know that. It's all conjecture. But whatever's happened, it's caused this first act that's come from this state of sin first recorded act after the fall. What was the motive? We don't know. What's happened? And it was all downhill from there. God protected Cain which gives you an indication of what's to come but at the same time he still went out. His family and Lamech, one of his descendants built a city of violence and had violent wars and it all went downhill from there. So much so that God flooded the earth in a few chapters later thinking it might get better. It still doesn't get better after that. Out of the state of sin comes these acts of sin. Extraordinary. Really. You see, you are not, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Very different. There's something within us, a second nature within us that causes us to do acts which work out against God. We've been living that way for centuries. For millennia. Still today, Paul the apostle Paul puts it in a way that is kind of a bit wordy but it's easy to understand when you look at each phrase in itself he, 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 un- he outlays this dilemma we have in ourselves he says this I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do anybody feel that yep what I hate I do And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. There's some sort of nature there. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. It just spells it out. You can grit your teeth and say, I'm not going to do that again. All that willpower in the world doesn't work. There's something at stake here. There's something deeper than all of that that we've inherited way back then and is still real for us today. I know what I want to do. Blame me down. I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do. You know what? I do Paul just spells out that dilemma that is ours in our life. And in the Old old Covenant, the Old Ways, the Old Testament, there's a setup, a whole complex, convoluted way of trying to deal with that. There was a whole bunch of offerings and a whole bunch of sacrifices and a whole bunch of feasts that people had to do. They were sort of complex things. And then there was only a... A few, a small set of people who could do it for you, called priests, and that happened for you, and it happened, had to happen every year, every year the same thing: more offerings, more sacrifices, more feasts, more priests to do it for you, and the year after, and the year after, and the year after, and it became so convoluted. You know the difficulty with sin. The trouble with sin is we like it and rank it. We like it and rank it, that's, that's the trouble with sin. It actually is nice, if we're really honest. It gets a hold of us. Way back in August 1973, there was an event in Sweden where a man called Jan Erik Olsen ran into the bank, the credit banking of Sweden, with a semi-automatic shotgun, fired it into the roof and said the party's just begun and he was hoping to go in to that bank and rob it and get out quickly. Things went horribly wrong for jan Eric Olson. And he ended up in the bank taking four hostages, let the rest of the people go, took four hostages, three female bank workers and a male bank worker. And he made demands of the police outside. He's, he wanted his friend, a guy by the name of Clark Olofsson, who was in jail, released to come and be with him. And he asked for a Ford Mustang car to be parked outside the bank. Going to make a fast getaway, get a decent car. So he got those, and then, but by day two, Olufsen and Olsen were on first name terms and well, lovely terms with the hostages. The police on day two were going to storm the building, and one of the hostages rang up the Swedish president, Olaf Palm, and said, Please stop the police from bombing or coming into the building. They were more fearful of the police, the damage the police could do than they were of what their captors could do. Day five, the police shot in tear gas and they decided to give up. So they were coming out and the police said, okay, we want the hostages to come out first. The hostages said, no, we want... Olson and Olson to come out first because they figured that if they came out first, they'd be greeted and then they'd, be, they'd leave the others and shoot them. That's what they thought. So they said, No, they've got to come out first. So they embraced on the door of the bank and the two captors were taken off to prison and the hostages released. Olson got 10 years in jail for armed robbery, which was a very light sentence because none of those hostages would testify against him. They visited him in prison regularly. It's a phenomenon. It's start to become now called the Stockholm syndrome, where you actually become attached to what is designed to harm you. You actually become you embrace what is actually set out for your harm. You see, we like sin. We embrace it more than we think. We actually don't mind it. I mean, it's, it's fun, isn't it? Gossip is good fun. A lot of fun in gossip. Theft benefits us. Sexual sin is momentary pleasure. Putting people down puts me up. Judgmentalism feeds my self-righteousness. Telling a lie will save my skin. We actually like it. And not only like it, but we rank it. We rank it. Now, I know the consequences of different acts of sin are different, but it comes from the same place. We, we rank it. We say gossip's not as bad as murder. We say lying's not as bad as violence. And as I said, the consequences are different, but the, react, the act that comes from the state hasn't. Sin is rife. We see it all around us. We do it. We like it. What do we do with it? And I just want to share a couple of thoughts with you about that. Jesus is good news for sin and sinners. If you don't recognize that in you, Jesus isn't good news. He's just Jesus, but he's good news. He's good news for sin and for sinners. And when you read through the Gospels, he doesn't talk a lot about sin, but he just deals with it in his stride. He just deals with it as it comes up. You know, many stories. There's a woman who's caught in adultery and the implication is she's actually almost set up. She's brought into the marketplace by the religious police so Jesus will make a decision that will trap him. And he sees her and ponders and just bends down and writes on the ground, on the stone ground. And I think it was just reminding the religious people that the finger of God was still at work. They'd seen that finger before. And then he stands up and says, Okay, whichever one of you have never sinned, throw the first stone. Just deals with it. They trickle off, left for the woman. He says, Where have your, con- where have your accusers gone? No one left. You're, no one to condemn you. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. He just deals with it. Disciples bring a man born blind and they're debating, you know, the construct of the day, the context of the day was if something happened to you, something was the matter with you, that it was your individual personal sin. Who sinned, him or his father? Jesus said neither. But the son of the, the... the works of God would be seen. You see, God, Jesus just dealt with it. He managed it along it. realise it's a regular thing in life we've got to deal with, and he just deals with it, and, and he forgives. You know, you cannot talk about sin and repenting of sin and all those sort of seemingly heavy things without talking about forgiveness. And that's forgiveness on a vertical level and a horizontal level. You see, know, Jesus one day was asked by someone, Tell me the greatest commandment. He doesn't answer that question with one, he answers it with two. First one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength, soul. And the second one, which is like it, it's not second in terms of important, it's just second in terms of announced because it's like it. Those two go together. It's forgiveness is crucial in this area. Sin, horizontal or vertical. I want to show you a picture. It reminds me of a church service I went to a few years ago now. It was just a week before the 20th commemoration of the Rwandan genocide. I was in Rwanda, commemoration of an event in 1994 where almost a million people, yeah, not 1994, a million people were slaughtered in about a month, in a tribal war, Hutus versus Tutsis were the two tribes and we visited this church service on the way out to the airport with a team of people and as we were there, as I got into the service of an Anglican service and the pastor came out to see, His name was Pastor Francis he said to me, Tim, when it comes to the time in the service, would you read the scriptures and then introduce your team to us? I said, sure it was a service started like today's and worship time and announcements and he asked me up and I read the scriptures and introduced my team and then he said today we're going to pray for Christopher, that's Christopher and we're going to pray for him and his wife Christina who wasn't there because and Christopher was over to the side, he was the sound man he was over about there where that door is on a four channel mixer connected to a car battery and he called him over and uh, He said, today we're going to pray for Christina, Christopher's wife. Because because of a campaign of the government, the the person who murdered her mum and dad had confessed that week as to where he'd buried the bodies. It was the bottom of a pit latrine deep down. And And Pastor Francis said this, this Thursday we as a church are going to go, we now know where it is, we're going to dig up her parents' remains and going to give them a proper burial. And then he said and we're going to pray now for Christopher. He said, Tim, would you come and help me? I'm a blubbering mess in the front seat. I said, sure. I came up, and fortunately, I didn't have to say anything because he was praying, and I wasn't. But I opened my eyes while we were praying. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I opened my eyes while we were praying, and tears are running down Christopher's face. They're running down my face as we prayed for this guy whose wife was going to go that week with the church body and find the bones of her parents from 20 years earlier and give them a proper burial. One of the most amazing services I've ever been in. When I got out after the service, I found the backstory. Christopher and Christine had been married for 10 years, but the backstory was he was a Hutu and she was a Tutsi. So before they even thought about marriage, there had to be forgiveness. There had to be forgiveness that happened and You've got to understand that forgiveness is twofold. We think it's just one fold. We think, oh, as Christians, we just, we just choose to forgive. And then you wonder why on earth the next time you see someone who you've chosen to forgive, you still feel angsty. There's a second side of it. The first one is immediate, you make that choice. But the other one takes time, and it's to surrender the right to get even. That's the other side of forgiveness. And here's where it sounds a little weird maybe to you but before you surrender the right to get even you have to claim the right to get even because in natural law you have a right to get even but in supernatural forgiveness you don't. You surrender it. That's the deal. And I mention that on on a horizontal level because vertically that's exactly how Jesus forgives you and me. He chooses to forgive you and he surrenders the right to get even and that makes all the difference. That makes every difference there is. It's important you understand that. We deal with one another. We forgive, we choose, and we surrender the right to get even, but that's how God deals with us. That's what Jesus does with sin and the penalty and the power of sin. We have this thing called the cross and the covenant that matters. You heard advertised tonight the Easter service. Let me tell you, Good Friday is Great Friday it's Fantastic Friday because it tells the story of Jesus hanging on a cross to give you total forgiveness but that's not just it it changes a covenant all that convoluted stuff that happened before now changes he utters Father forgive them for they don't know what they do he says it's finished and when he shouts it's finished it's not just that all he needed to do to forgive was finished but all it's to do with the old covenant is finished as well and as a brand new freedom happens there's a brand new way there's a brand new opening that happens the moment he was on that cross an earthquake happened and the curtain of the temple which was four inches thick cloth was torn in two from top to bottom. We don't need this anymore. It's open slaver, on forgiveness and grace and hope. It's finished. The power and the penalty of sin, no more. This that bothers us every day, no more. It doesn't mean we don't do it, but God is so forgiving that we, we repent, we change our mind, and God, we know God's forgiveness. It's not wait till a year's up. It's not certain people can do it for me. It's not certain sacrifices. It's a daily thing when we walk with Jesus and he makes a difference in our lives and there's a new covenant. We've got to know that. We read this in the book of Hebrews. For if there had, not been, if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they... Teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And then he says, By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So, this first covenant is obsolete. Now, obsolete's not bad, it just means it's done its job, and it means it's being replaced. It's not to be mixed within you. It's not to be, you know, combined with it. It's obsolete now. Now you have Jesus. You have a son of God who forgave you once and for all to deal with this thing called sin. It's a new freedom and a new life. Hebrews writer goes on to say, for this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Not that he's died as a ransom to set them free from sin. Now that he's died to set them free as a ransom from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. It had to be at the death of Jesus this new covenant came into being. A covenant that would give you freedom, and life, and hope, and purpose. It's what made it so difficult for Jesus when he was li- alive on the earth because he was living in an old covenant world, ushering in new covenant values. That's messy. That'll get you killed. And it did. Does it mean you stop sinning? No, it doesn't. But it means you have an open access to the God who forgives you, who can set you free, and give you hope and purpose and meaning again what does it mean? it means that human beings can take advantage of this new covenant and can receive forgiveness and know that the penalty for sin is taken care of it it means that when we still commit acts of sin we can call upon that once and for all gift of Jesus and be forgiven and refreshed and restored and made new it means there is no condemnation anymore for those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit and life has set us free from the law of sin and death. I've, uh, I've come, become aware more recently of this Japanese art form called kinshugi. Anybody heard of kinshugi? Kinshugi is an amazing art form. And what happens is if you break a bowl or a dish... Or a basin, earthenware bowl dish or basin. There are artisans. There are people who can have this gift of being put it together again with a lacquer and a glue with gold in it. And the deal with Kinshugi, the premise behind it is that you are more valuable if you're put together now in this way than you were before. It's a tremendous picture of the gospel of broken, we're broken people we are people who are weighed down, we are people whose lives are sometimes all over the joint but God has this capacity to take broken people and put us together in a way that gives us value and hope and purpose more than we've ever had before that's the gift of Jesus for you and for me I'm going to just ask you today to be a little vulnerable, to be a little brave, maybe have a little, be a little courageous. You may be here tonight, and you know there's areas in your life you need forgiveness from. You're holding something; it's burning, or maybe there's people in your life you need to forgive or seek forgiveness from. And I, I want us to say tonight: let's not let that dawdle. Let's make a difference in that tonight. Let's, let's do something about tonight. Or you may be here and you've never, ever, ever come to the place of realizing that when Jesus hung on a cross and said it's finished, it meant it could be finished for you and the freedom can come for you. I just want to give 20, 30 seconds, no longer. I'm not going to ask you to do anything freaky or weird, but just to stand where you are. And I want to pray for you. If that's you tonight, you just need to know something of the freedom and the forgiveness of Jesus afresh and anew or for the very first time. I just want you to stand right now where you are. Take a risk. Take a step. Just 30, 20, 30 seconds, just where you are right now. You just need to know something of the forgiveness of God or you need to forgive someone or seek their forgiveness. It's another 10 seconds or so. folks, thank you for your courage, I want to pray for you, and that's not easy to do so let me just pray for you, Father I want to thank you and praise you for the freedom you give, I want to thank you so much for your son Jesus who came that we might have life and fullness we couldn't even imagine, Father I want to thank you for each person who's standing right now, and in doing so recognizing that there's there's a need for some aspect of forgiveness There's there's a there's a you know, something in the area of sin or the need for repentance that needs to be resolved tonight. With someone in a horizontal way or whether it's in a vertical way with you, Lord God, I want to thank you. I don't know each person's story and I don't, know to need, don't need to know each person's story. But Lord, you do. And I pray, Lord God, that freedom and forgiveness can flow tonight. And Father, I pray for people here for the very first time who've who've come to the place of saying, I want to accept what Jesus has done for me afresh or for the very first time. Lord, tonight will be a new journey. It's a new freedom. It's a new, a new beginning. Father, I want to thank you for that. And I pray, Lord God, that we would know the work of your spirit in bringing forgiveness and life and hope to us. In Jesus' name. Please grab a seat. The priest is going to come and share and come in in a moment. But I just want to say, if you stood for the first time because tonight's the night you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, you need to talk to someone tonight who's identified with the church in terms of Calvin or Aaron, who you saw before, or people in uniforms around the place. They'll love to help you and begin that process, begin that journey. Bless you.